This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome back, everybody. This is Larry Wilmore. You're listening to Black on the Air. Thanks for uh, thanks for putting me in your in your queue. I still don't know how to describe what it is. <laughs> thanks for listening. I guess it's good enough. We have uh, Bill Simmons joins me today. Bill and I catch up now and then on my pod. It's a lot of fun uh, for those of you that aren't familiar. He, of course, is the head of the Ringer. It's his company, and. Um, we chat mostly about basketball, but some of the stuff that's happening uh, with social justice and all that kind of stuff. And we always have a fun conversations. So thanks, Bill. He's joining me for today's conversation. So I'm letting you know right now, it's mainly about sports. <laughs> it's mainly about basketball. But, you know, there's the cultural stuff in there, too. So I know I have that Venn diagram of fans who are like, Larry, I love you, man. But when you start talking about your Lakers and sports, I don't know. And I get it. And I appreciate you saying that. You know, it's. I understand. And by the way, Lakers won last night. Very happy about that. Basketball season just started. Lakers beat the Clippers. Who knows what's going to happen this season? It's this truncated COVID season that is going to be very bizarre. I mean, at the end of the day, if the Lakers do win a championship, it's still a championship. It's still a banner. I would be very happy. But it's going to be very interesting. And I was commenting last week about how, you know, the NBA has really gone I mean, beyond the call of duty with um, their support of all the social justice issues, Black Lives Matter, and all that stuff. I mean, beyond the call of duty. Not only is Black Lives Matter everywhere, like on their shirts and on the court and everything, you know, PSAs, that kind of stuff, public support, you know, and all of that is great. I mean, I think the George Floyd thing really opened up a lot of people's eyes to the issues in the NBA, and mainly because it's mostly Black, I have to say, you know, maybe feels certain type of responsibility to speak out about it or to be on the record for it or to come out and be in front of it, you know? Uh, or it could be that the people involved with it just feel that personally, and then it's the whole NBA. And I have no problem with that. But like I said last week, the performative part of it, when it's just so much, it's like, <laughs> you know, and I don't, I really don't want to sound like I'm slamming it, even though I kind of am. And maybe it's because I'm contrary. But I mean... It's like, I, 
are they playing like a real basketball game or is it an exhibition game? You know, because like on people's jerseys, they have like one person's jersey instead of, you know, like Jabbar, even though he's not playing or whoever it is. You know, Mitchell says, say her name or uh, education reform, you know, or uh, I can't breathe or whatever it is. You know, it's all these catchphrases, which is fine, but. I mean, it's like, now it's like kind of gimmicky, you know, when it's on jerseys, guys. It's like, come on, stop it. I get it. You And you kneel, everybody knelt for the anthem, because now you have to do that or else there's something wrong with you. Even though they had these uh, black women or, or black young ladies singing the anthem, did a beautiful job, but then everybody has to kneel, you know, and everybody's got to do it. And it, it's this, I, I just don't understand where this is coming from now, you know, just how overblown it is. And overblown isn't even the right word. But I talked about it last week, so you got it. You got how I feel about it. Ain't mad at it. Ain't mad where it's coming from. But I'm a little bit mad about how big it's becoming as a performative thing. Like, it's almost being a corporate thing now. <laughs> you know, we're and soon enough, we know how quickly these things turn into uh, just money-making ventures for people that... You know, and meanwhile, the real issues about things just never get changed. But we'll see. That's my cynical approach to it. I'm going to try not to be cynical. Let's just be happy that people are speaking up about things that normally don't get spoken for. How about that, Larry? How about that? Instead of Mr. Negative trying to attack the NBA for doing the right thing. You got a lot of nerve. I know, I know. Like I said, maybe I'm just being contrary. So let's see. This week, um, man, there's always so much stuff going on. It's just crazy. Herman Cain, did you guys say he passed away? Um, he ran for president in 2016, I think. He had that 999. He was talking about that. Um, or was it 2012? I can't remember. 2012, I guess. Yeah, that's what it was. I think he was sold pizzas or something like that. <laughs> Not like a delivery guy. But um, he was at the Tulsa rally that Trump held. And he made a very big show of not wearing a mask, not taking precautions. And by the way, Herman Cain is a man who beat like stage four colon cancer, I believe, a couple of years ago. So he is not in the group of people that needs to be playing chicken with the coronavirus, you know. But, you know, because they got to drink the Trump Kool-Aid, they, they made a big show of how they weren't wearing masks. And then he doubled down and kind of tweeted something about, People aren't going to be forced to wear masks for Trump's speech at uh, Mount Rushmore, whatever it was, you know. And like the day after he tweeted that, or a couple of days, he was in the hospital with the coronavirus. And now he's dead, you guys. He's dead. I mean, that's crazy. That That is so fast. You know, he wasn't a young man, of course, but still. I mean, you talk about just mocking fate or whatever. And, you know, it gets me. It's this hope. This group of people that just want to believe in this conspiracy theory about the government wants to control you. They want to tell you what to do. Yeah, motherfucker, they want to tell you what to do. Be fucking safe. That's what they want to tell you what to do. You're right. They're No, they're not leaving it up to you. <laughs> You're right. In this case, they are telling you what to do. Wear a fucking mask. You know, I, I don't understand where people are coming from, where they're resisting this. Because the safer that we can all be together as a group, we can open up, you know, businesses 
more efficiently and feel more safe about it. People are still going to get the virus. Yes, but at least we know that we're doing the right thing. You know, we're taking precautions. President Trump was so responsible by having that rally inside and encouraging people not to wear to wear masks. He's so fucking irresponsible. And now that his poll numbers are going down, you know, he's trying to act like he was on that train the whole time, but but uh he's just such a liar and he's not even a good one. But what gets me is People's desire, and I've talked about this a few times, to want to believe in these conspiracies, that there's there's some force out there that's, that's trying to compel you to do something or is controlling you or they want this or they want that. Let's be clear, guys. In politics, like when um, Tucker Carlson lately has been having all these conspiracy theories, they're not even conspiracy theories, but all the left want to do is they want to get power and the Democrats, they want to get power. Of course, politics want to get power. Every politician wants power. That's what they're running for, is for power. It doesn't even make sense. But to say the left wants to get power is this some evil group that wants to control you is ridiculous. But of course, politicians and political groups want to get power. That's why they're running for office. You run for president so you can have power over things. It's just a ridiculous statement. But for people... To think that there's some nefarious thing happening out there in secret, these cabals that are happening, is just beyond me. And the president being the leader of this type of conspiracy thinking, I mean, it goes back to, to the whole birther thing, uh, claiming that Obama wasn't born in America and all that kind of stuff. And now the latest conspiracy theory that Trump is spreading is about the election itself. And you know, you you know where he's he's uh, spreading a conspiracy theory about mail and mail in voting right now, where we can't trust it. You know, there's these evil forces at work. <laughs> you know, all these types of things. You know, and I've talked about this before, guys. Too, my theory of conspiracy theories is the I have a mathematical equation of how it works. And conspiracy theories, people always want you to. They always demand evidence for the obvious. And always demand that you swallow the preposterous. That's how it goes. They need evidence for the obvious, but you have to swallow the preposterous, you know. So mail-in voting has been working forever. Absentee voting, all of that stuff has been working forever, you know, with probably as much fraud as any other type of voting when you average everything out. I'm sure I haven't done the studies, but there's nothing to suggest that there's something unsafe about it. So he would demand evidence for that, for the obvious <laughs> that it is, that is already a system that works. But the conspiracy we're supposed to believe, the preposterous, that all these wild things are going to happen, you know, and we won't have a president for three months, you know, and the country can't be in that kind of unsuredness. So why should we have this type of thing? It's crazy. And it's funny because when Bill Maher talked about that President Trump would not leave office if he wasn't reelected, I always dismiss that as, come on, Bill, that's not. But now I got to give him props now. Bill, I think Bill, <laughs> he was onto something. You know, um, I don't know what's going to happen. But it is, it is interesting to see that some Republicans who have a little bit of sense are at least not jumping on that train. Um, but most people are just going to, you know, either not say something or just be in that Trump train. And in the meantime, he's just killing Americans. Just killing Americans. And the other person that died last week, and they've been having the memorials for, was the great John Lewis. The contrast of 
the honoring of John Lewis and the, you know, honoring his life and his service to the country. He's kind of a quiet warrior, is how I view John Lewis. You know, almost killed on that Edmund Pettus Bridge, on that March to Selma and everything in 1965. And and, uh, the dignity that man has, you know, and Trump could barely move his lips to pay him, you know, the the honor that he deserves. And um, I was very fortunate to meet uh, Mr. Lewis once. I was hosting the National Book Awards a few years ago, and he had some kind of comic book thing out that was very cool, actually. And he was walking my way, and I'm thinking, oh, shit, there goes John Lewis, you know. I wonder if I should say hi to him, you know. I'm sure he doesn't know who I am. And he's walking towards me, and I'm like, I think he's looking at me. I couldn't tell if he was looking at me or looking past me. And I never want to act like people are actually looking at me because I'm going to get embarrassed when they're actually looking at the person right behind me, you know, that thing. So I kind of averted my eyes a little bit. And he he's actually coming right at me and he opens up his arm and he gives me a hug and he says, Hey, and I go, Hey, and I was so surprised. I'm like, Oh my God, I couldn't believe that John Lewis was giving me a hug. And he was saying how nice it was to meet me. And I'm like, stop it, please. What are you talking about? I'm honored to meet you, you know? And I talked to him for a little bit and, uh, you know, he was, uh, I think we were giving him a award. I can't remember. Uh, it was for his book and all that stuff, but I got to talk to him. I mean, it was so nice, you know, he was so legend. It was one of those things that I honestly, my tongue was tied. I had nothing that I could say, but it was such an honor to meet him, but I don't even deserve to be in the same room with that man for the, the kind of, uh, sacrifices that he made and so young and smart. The people that at the beginning of that civil rights movement, you guys, they were so young and so smart and so brave, you know, the things that they had to do. It was so inspiring. And I am hoping that his example is the type of example that uh, puts the wind in our sails for any of these fights to come, whether it's politics, social justice, you know, culture, all this stuff with police and everything, that we do it with both the ferocity and the civility that John Lewis showed us, because it's going to take both. And that's my wish. There you go. All right. That's all I got. We got uh, my boy, Bill Simmons. <laughs> you know, he hates the Lakers. I hate the Celtics. That's kind of what bonds us, just so you guys know a little backstory. Bill Simmons coming right up. But first, uh, a quick word. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise. But if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, You're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. 
You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. What does your next drive look like? Running between meetings? Maybe a getaway with the whole family? Either way, the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life with premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. All right, welcome back. Well, I'm happy to have a guy who I haven't talked to since he Mr. Big Time with his big Spotify deal. You know, he's just untouchable these days. You know, he blamed it on the pandemic, whatever. You know, all these things. But happy to always have back on the show Bill Simmons, Mr. Ringer himself. That's not fair. I we try to talk at least once no, a month on the no, phone. No, that's not, not fair. All. Don't do that to me. No, no I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm in such a good mood. I, I shaved. Uh, <laughs> basketball is back. I feel like a new man. You shaved? Why would I you did. shave? I I just mm. didn't shave all summer. I I was in fun. Yeah. I just I couldn't take yeah. it anymore, and I was losing my mind being trapped in the house. And um, but now I'm happy. It's funny how something like growing hair can put you in yeah. a different state of mind. It's like, why is all this hair growing right it's, it's now? It's crazy. Like, I'm unable yeah. to cut it. Well, at mm-hmm. least life's starting to feel normal. And people think I don't have hair, but I actually do. You know, so I just had a real short when I did my show, so it's kind of funny. Yeah, you have way more hair than LeBron does. Oh, absolutely. Look, look at this. See, I have, a, I have tons of hair. There you go. Yeah. I think you versus LeBron, you're like a minus two forty favorite in the hair in the hair contest. I love that everything in your world has to be a negative comment about LeBron. Like it gets whittled down to that. I mean, let me just say this. Bill Simmons, you guys know Bill is, you know, you're already listening to the ringer, you know. But what you have to know is that he hates the Lakers so much that even if at some point he really liked LeBron, it has to get like now through this prism of Laker hate all the time, you know? So it's hard for you to say anything positive about LeBron. It's It's been begrudging respect for LeBron, really, since he murdered the 2012 Celtics and ended that entire era. So it's been hard for me with him. Yeah, but those, those guys, in truthfulness, Garnett did go over at the end of his career. So they had a good run, you know? And then Ray Allen left, so they didn't have another chance. We were up 3-2 in that series. We won game five in Miami. Came back to game six in Boston. Yeah, I'm so sad. I was so the sad clincher. for you guys. I was so sad. I was there. I flew back for it. <laughs> I wanted to see the the death of the LeBron, Wade, Bosch, because they would have traded Bosch after the year, all that stuff. And so, so you got to feel the sec- the Celtic death instead. Exactly. That's, that's exactly how, what happened. See how this relationship goes? See how I relish these things? Yeah. I don't like how happy you are this morning <laughs> after the Lakers Clippers win. I don't enjoy that. Laker fans are all feeling good today. Yeah, so let's talk about basketball. Let's start with that. Anyhow, the world of sports is coming back in this crazy world right now. 
And by the way, there's so much to talk to you about, but I do want to talk, start with sports. And I was a little concerned about basketball coming back. I wasn't sure if it was the right thing to do. Like for me, I just feel like it's over. I can accept that. I mean, you know, I'm an adult, you know, our window for basketball season is gone. Who cares? Get over it. Everybody knows we're in COVID right now. They don't have to try to have the finals in October. That's crazy to me. You know, <laughs> it's like, why are they forcing this? And you know, I understand. I guess there's some contract money issues or CBA issues with it is the biggest reason. Is that the biggest reason why, do you think? Why it came back? Yeah, because honestly, it's if it's a broken season and it's done, fine. Because by doing this, it means next year is going to be a broken season, too. It's not going to be a full season. I mean, I can't imagine them playing 82 games starting in December. How are they going to do that? They're not going to be able to do it. I think for this year, I think there was money at stake. You know, real money. Now, the bubble apparently costs at least 150 million bucks. So it's not like they're doing this for free, but um, the chance to salvage the TV money, the chance to, you know, be relevant during a time when there's not a lot of content right now. And then I do think it's a league that cares about its history and mm-hmm. completing seasons and how everything meshes together. And you had these storylines this year with LeBron. You know, this could be the his last, you know, in his relative prime year before it starts tailing off. You never know. You have the Clippers with Kawhi and Paul George. Mm-hmm. That might only be two years. You have Giannis in Milwaukee. Who knows how long is left for that? So I yeah. think they felt a responsibility to come back. And I think for the players, once they looked at the money they would lose combined with the chance to have a real platform, like you could feel it last night, the social justice from the pregame opening from TNT it was the dominant theme and it was all over the place and it was on the jerseys. You felt in national anthem, you felt it in some of the commercials they did. I thought they used their platform in a really great way. And um, I just thought it was a home run. I didn't mind not having the fans. I'm one of those who think the, a lot of the social justice stuff is overkill. You know, it's like, I get it. You support it, but Everything's on the backs of jerseys. I don't even know who the players are. <laughs> you know, it's like, I get it. This is an important issue. And I get that you carry NBA, but you are, you guys are playing basketball for Christ's sakes. You know, are you a social justice league now or a basketball league? I'm confused. You know, it's like, I, I feel like they're overdoing, they're overplaying this hand right now. There's one thing about supporting causes and being vocal about it. But when the game's going on, it's like, it, it's a bit crazy to me. I, I didn't know whether it was because I was old, but I, I did have trouble identifying players because the names on the jerseys were just different. Yeah. You know, you're used to seeing Mitchell, Mitchell yes. with Mitchell on the back of his jersey. And now right. there's like 20 letters and you're like, yeah. who's that? And there's like, oh, it's not of a Mitchell. I don't know if say her name can guard uh, education reform, you know. <laughs> it looks like uh, uh, social justice is coming down. The boy has got the ball, you know. He's going to lob it to uh, defund the police. Oh, no, who's going to win? You know, it's like, what's going on, guys? It's like, it's a bit overkill right now. We get it, you know. I thought if I was the uniform czar for this, I would have put the phrase on the front of the jerseys instead of the team name. And I would have kept the player names on the back just so it was easier for the fans to kind of follow. 
But I think we'll also get used to it. I just feel it was everywhere. That's what I mean by overkill. Is it NASCAR now? They're just going to logo the shirts and everything? Like, to me, the coolest is putting it on sneakers. I love it when it's on sneakers. Like, that's really cool. It's a little more subtle, but it's still highlighted. You know, they still show it to us, which I think is great. I think they can be real creative when it's on their sneakers, you know, that type of thing. You can personalize message. But on the jerseys, it just seemed like, come on, guys. is this an? It felt like an exhibition, you know, to me, instead of taking the game like you can take both things seriously like you don't have to you know just take this over seriously like let me put it a different way i've been dealing with this issue my whole life Bill, and it feels like people are suddenly awake to this oh we need to have all this in jerseys and people have to know it's like calm down motherfuckers this issue's been going on a long time it's not going to be over but let's not act like putting this stuff on jerseys changes things maybe well, i'm too cynical about it you know well, I, I think LeBron probably agreed with you, right? Yeah, I LeBron, agree with LeBron. LeBron just put James on the back of his jersey, and he's like, my work speaks for itself. He's I'm going right. to continue to fight the fight, Yes, but I don't need to put it on my jersey. Exactly. He's got he's open to school for kids. You know, yeah. his, he's an example out in the community. He speaks for himself. You know, And a lot of players do a lot of great work on that. You know, I feel like maybe as a one-off, I think it's fine. Like if it was... Um, the all-star game, you know, or the first game of the finals or something like that, you know, then I think, oh, that's cool. But if this is like the way it is, it's like, come on, guys, it's just overkill. It really is. It's like, you, like, I'll give you another example. To me, with everyone kneeling for the national anthem, like, why the fuck are we even playing the national anthem? Why? It doesn't make sense. Everybody knows it's going to be played. So, and, and if everybody's kneeling, why are we acting like, Oh, the national anthem's playing. I'm going to protest this. Let's all do it together in solidarity. Why are we even playing it then? <laughs> you know? Well, I thought Barkley made a key point about in the pregame show about if somebody decides not to stand for the anthem or not to kneel for the anthem to stand because yeah. the anthem means something different than them, we have to respect that choice too. He got blasted for that. I know. But I thought yeah. it was a fair it was a fair point to say Hey, this country's built around freedom of speech. I personally think everybody should kneel for the anthem just because for all the stuff we've been through the last four years. And I, I don't to me, it's not a protest of the anthem. It's it's you're signifying this is how I feel about everything that's happening with police brutality, everything else. I'm just doing this one thing. I still love my country. I still love the right. anthem, but this is the my one sign, my one way of saying this is how I feel. Um right. Well, but it's like, become when a little you look something at, else. Yeah, it's become like, if you don't do this, then you're a bad person or you don't show support for something, which kind of defeats the point of that kind of act, which I understand what you're saying, you know. But just kneeling in front of the anthem is just kind of protesting the anthem, I guess, you know. It's like... But do you think that's what it really is, though? Because I don't feel like it's a protest of the anthem. I just well, think... You, well, it's, it's the fact that the anthem is playing right then, you know, and you're this is your protest for America. But to me, it's not really a protest at this point. It's a show of solidarity for something, you know, because everybody's doing it. That's how I feel about it. Right. I'm making a distinction right now where it's like people are choosing when the national anthem's playing to have the show of solidarity to show that that's the part where I feel it's a bit performance. It's like, okay, well then I'm like, well then why are we even playing the national anthem? It doesn't make sense to me. Well, this summer has been so crazy. I think people are trying to figure out how to act and how to yeah. express how hurt they are and how yes. important it is to them that, that things start to change. And I, I just look at everything the NBA did yesterday. 
if their goal was for these guys to use their platform mm-hmm. to make people think about this stuff when they are, you know, the, the second most popular professional sports league we have, like mission accomplished. It was all mm-hmm. over the place yesterday in a really good way. I do share your concern though about the overkill. Like, well, will it have the same meaning three months into this? Will it start to feel, you know, how, how do you kind of keep it fresh, I guess? Um, and how do you keep making people think about this stuff as the playoffs go along? For me, it's like, is that their responsibility? Like, when did it become basketball players' responsibility to make sure the world is thinking about this issue? You know, like, as a collective league, not as individual players, which people have that right to be activists and speak out on something. I just don't know when it became the league's responsibility to make sure that people are thinking about this. I mean, I don't know. I know that they support different causes. Like many times in football, to support breast cancer, people wear like pink things and that kind of stuff. They've done it in other sports. And I get that, you know, and, and that type of, those types of actions, I, I have no problem with it. But in terms of it being a necessary responsibility, you know, that to have to do that thing, I don't know. I think it's nice if they want to, but I don't feel it's their responsibility. Well, I'm pushing back a little. I think this league... I'm being very contrary this morning, as you can tell. No, I I think... (laughs) But here's the thing. I'm glad we're having a conversation like this because I think people are afraid to have conversations about anything. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that's made the NBA special beyond just about anything else was how it intersected with whatever was going on with race and our culture, dating back Mm -hmm. to the 50s, dating back to Bill Russell being the best player in the 1956 draft, but not... But St. Louis being like, well, he can't play here. Right. We're gonna trade. We're gonna trade him away because this obviously ain't working. Right. Um, right. And then you get to the '60s, and they have a rule. You know, you can't have more than two black guys on a team. That's it. So you would have the third best black guy on a, on an NBA team not making the team because they had to keep some white guy who wasn't as good as him. Then you move yeah. to the mid '60s. The Celtics starting five black guys at once. Um, the league kind of the the best players in the league, basically, except for Jerry West, were all black. And then Bill Russell becomes player coach. And you have these baby steps. And then we get to the 80s, and it's like, you know, magic starts to figure out how to cross over as a really famous athlete who's a sponsor of things. Dr. J, same thing. Michael comes in, that whole thing happens. Then you have Iverson in the 90s, he pushes the league. He merges hip hop culture into the league Mm -hmm. and there's a huge backlash against him initially. But then now I think he's thought of as like one of the icons, but all the way through the leagues reflected whatever's going on in real life. So to me, it totally makes sense that they would reflect everything that's happened this summer. Right? Yeah, no, I, I get that in terms of, of reflecting it. And I like when they speak out on it and do that. I was just thinking all the bannering of it is a bit overkill, you know, just the, that's what I think. Like, how long is that what it is now? Or is it just a temporary thing? Is it a one-off, you know? Well, did you hear the LeBron comments about it? His latest, did he, did he make more comments or what? Well, he, he said in the post-game interview, he reiterated what he had said before. He was like, this isn't a movement. Right. Where This is not, because the movement insinuates that it's something that's going to, you know, is going to have a beginning, middle, and end. He's like, this is where we want to change how people think of this stuff. That that doesn't make it a movement that makes it, yeah. this is what he said. This is I'm paraphrasing, but this is more than a movement. We want to change behavior and attitude. Yeah. 
which I thought was an interesting way to, to kind of phrase it. Right. And see, I feel sports is getting in this different place now. I guess that's what I'm observing here, where it used to be, well, there was a time when it was very rare for an athlete to be an activist outwardly, you know, the, they were always seen to be taking a chance with either their image or their support and that type of thing. We all know the story about Ali and all that stuff, but it, there are many players, not just Ali, who, you know, spoke up and Jordan was criticized for, for not using his platform early in his career. Right. And he made the comment about Republicans buy sneakers and all that kind of stuff, you know? Right. Well, think about John Carlos and Tommy Smith, the backlash exactly. to that 1968. Completely, you know. And you think yesterday you saw multiple guys during the anthem putting their fists up, emulating those guys. And yeah, I don't know. I haven't been online today seeing if there was backlash to that in some corners. I'm sure there, there might have so. been. I don't even know. I don't think there's backlash to any of this kind of stuff because everybody's doing it and the league is kind of doing it, you know. I think. You know, some people like me and, and you know, I want to make sure people understand where I'm coming from. I'm not like I'm not mad at them for wanting to do this. You know, I think it's, you know, God bless them. You know, they want to bring attention to this and everything. I just for me, it so, when I say overkill, it just seems like, guys, how far are you going to make this point? Have we forgotten that you are a basketball league? You know, you're not an activist league. You know, it's just different. It's not like. Stokely Carmichael is playing point guard, you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> they play the LA, the LA Panthers now. But it's like I get it. My expectation are slam dunks, you know, and blocked shots, you know. And so well, I wonder. Well, go ahead. I think that's changed though with social media. I think it's possible to have an impact beyond just playing a sport. You know, I when you look at the way people follow these guys not just on Instagram and Twitter, but kind of hang yeah. on every word they have and how they've been able to harness that power over the last 10 years and really shape their own narratives in all these yeah. different ways. I think to me, it's kind of logical that they would be on the front line of this. Do you think this, do you think sports now has changed, especially basketball? Uh, we could talk about the other sports too, but has it just changed completely now in terms of how it expresses itself with these issues? Is this like a, a it's never going to go backwards now? Like it always is going to feel like it has to um, support or not support something? I think it depends on the sport, right? The sp it says more about the sport and who the audience mm -hmm. is than yeah. what's changed. Like baseball launched last week. Did, did you feel like they hammered home the social justice points and no. did all this stuff? Like they didn't. All right, well, why is that? Well, we barely have any black baseball players anymore. You know, there's some teams that have maybe one black guy on the entire team. But um, I think they did do kneeling and that kind of stuff. Yeah, they did. The but NFL. I mean, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't as overt as it was yesterday. Right. And then football has this whole different audience. And we saw it with the Kaepernick stuff, you know, three years ago. When I said this at the time, and I still feel this way, like, I think everything he did was completely genuine. And he, and he didn't try to make a big deal out of it. And he's just like, you know what? I'm not standing for this. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to be over here. And somebody noticed and it became a right. story. But people I got agree. so, they got so fucking mad about that. And you think yeah. like even the way that's changed from 2017 and now, um, there's still going to be a certain sector of the country that's still going to be mad about it. But in general, yeah. I, I think people are much more considerate about why you would make that choice than they were in 2017.
This is that. This is how shit evolves. Think about Obama and his his thoughts on gay marriage in the two thousands, and even yeah, well, how that evolved from two thousand eight to two thousand sixteen. Yeah, but let's be clear. He's a politician. Politicians say things to get elected. You know, I I always said I don't think Obama evolved. I think his politics evolved of what he of what that's, he was willing to fair. share with us. You know, because he had yeah, to get elected. Fair. You know, he took a position in order to get elected, but I don't think he's changed that much his position on it well he said know. he didn't believe in it i mean he did okay. but then, then within five six years he was like you know what i believe in this but i think what? sometimes that's what happens things evolve things change like you even yes. think about some of the stuff that happened you know in comedy movies less in yeah. the 2000s versus what would happen now like things evolve sometimes yeah. they evolve too far yeah. but things change as as it goes so yeah i think like kaepernick in 2017 yeah. And that's only three years ago. I mean, it's not even wow. three years ago. It's, Is that it's, when he first did the protest in 17? Yeah. Wow. I think, or man. was it 16? It feels like it was 16, maybe. Maybe it was 16, whatever. Three years ago, four years ago, but it, mm-hmm. it feels like a lifetime ago, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. I mean, this whole, the last four years, it feels like 40, but, uh, but that especially. He, yeah. To get back to the origin story, it's like we're so far from where that was, you know. Um, yeah. Even when I disagreed with Kaepernick and stuff, I always felt he was doing a brave thing by what he did because he put everything on the line for it, you know, of getting ostracized and everything. And that's where, you know, he really believed in it, you know, and he really, it really meant something to him personally. And I always said, I always feel like if people want to be activists, that's great, you know, but there is a risk to that too, depending on what field you're in, especially in entertainment or sports or that type of thing. Cause you get all kinds of people who follow you or whatever, but if it, it's meaningful to you, go for it. You know, I mean, cause what are you going to do? Well, it's been interesting to see how this has evolved over the last seven years. Right. Cause like when Trayvon Martin, when he got killed mm-hmm. and then how the NBA handled that and LeBron and the Miami mm-hmm. heat guys, they did yeah. the the hoodies Instagram photo. Sure. And I remember right. I was doing TV for ESPN when that happened. And it, it, we were nervous about how to talk about it. Yeah. You know, it's like, because we all know how we felt about what they did, but it's like, where are we going with this? This is now basketball moving into this different lane. How much time do we spend talking about this? How important was this? Right. And, and now you look back at that and it seems so kind of innocent compared to the stuff that's going on this summer. You know, this is, that was one Instagram mm-hmm. photo and that felt like a really bold move in 2013 or 14, yeah, whatever that was. Yeah. I wasn't mad at that at all because I felt that came from the players and it wasn't compulsory. You know, they were right. doing it because they believed in it and they wanted to, to show this was an important cause. I I believe those, those types of acts, I, I completely support all the time, you know, um, it's when but it becomes remember, a, remember the feeling yeah. though of like, whoa, LeBron, man, like, no, that it was risky for him in certain circles to do that because we had grown up with like the Michael Jordan. I'm out of this. I'm just a basketball player. And that was the first time where I felt like with LeBron, he he's, was like, he's, I, he's, I actually want to be, I want to actually stand for more than just being good at basketball. Yeah. He'd done some other stuff at that time, but that Instagram photo I felt was a really important point in his career. Do you think Le- LeBron is the first player to turn this around? Do you think? Because I, I'm thinking as we're talking about this, you're right about Jordan. I don't know if there were any politics in basketball in the nineties. 
Well, Iver, Iverson's the guy. I mean, Iverson. But he wasn't political. Just, he was no. a cultural thing. Yeah. You but know, he it, was, but that still matters, though, because he just was like, this is who I am. Yes. I'm not changing. I'm not becoming more corporate or more fan friendly in any right. way. This is this is me. Like me or don't like me, I don't care. And but it, but he was, and it was standing he was standing up for himself. We're talking yeah. about somebody like LeBron sticking up for a cause or sticking up for something else, you know. I think he's but, the first ma- major athlete in basketball to do that in a long time, right? I mean, who had done it before, really? Well, you had guys like you know, Craig Hodges and Mahmoud Abdul-Aruf, who were more yeah. political. I, yeah. To me, it was more an authenticity thing. Mm-hmm. I Iverson came into the league and he's the one guy from that era who was just completely authentic. You know, there are right. other guys who were like, they're trying to figure out how to juggle, like, you know, Shaq was like always trying to be a rapper or an actor and, and trying to feel stuff out. <laughs> oh, Kobe, on, Kobe was always trying to feel out, like, hey, Kobe rapped at an all-star game. They're, they're all trying to figure out what their persona is. Iverson came in the league fully formed. He's like, this is who I am. Right. I am this person. And I, I think, you know, LeBron, who came in the league as a baby, you know, yeah. he's 18, and the steps that he made, even like with the decision, like that guy didn't know who he was. He didn't, he didn't really know where he was going. And then he figured it out over the next 10 years. I will say that magic was fully formed when he joined. He just, he brought a different energy to the league. Cause in the seventies, you know, everybody was thinking the NBA was thuggy, you know, and it was too black and all this type of thing, you know, and magic brought this love of the game, like this, this unbridled just love for just playing and entertaining that people hadn't seen in a while where he just, he just, he seemed to just, it's funny. He's kind of the opposite of all this in some ways on the court. I mean, not outside, but on the court, Yeah, you know, where it was, he made people forget everything, I guess, you know, it's funny how there's two different ways that sports can operate. And maybe that's what's going on here. Sports can operate as an escape from things, you know, for people like people yeah. don't want to think about these things. They, they can root for their sports player or in these ways, it can be an engagement, you know, where people are watching sports and now they're engaged in these things because sports is that intersection. I guess. Is that where we are right now? I guess. Well, you go back to the magic era. Him and Dr. J are the two most important guys pre-Jordan. Yeah. Bird to a, to some degree, just because he was Bird great to watch. Because he's tied to yeah. magic. Well, Bird and magic are tied together. Yeah. But you yeah. had, and I remember when I wrote my book, like going through all the Sports Illustrated and all the different pieces and books written. And, you know, there's some really crazy stuff from the 70s. There's Sports Illustrated mm-hmm. pieces built around the premise is the league too black. I know. I what remember are we going to do? Yeah. It was and crazy. Kareem was the best player in the league and nobody could connect with him. You know, he just wasn't personable and he had the goggles <laughs> on. He was seven foot four. He was kind of like the bad guy in a movie that you were just trying to stop. Not, yeah. not that he was a bad person, but he was just seven foot four. He had an unstoppable sky hook. Didn't he talk to anybody. A, he wasn't a promotion for the league. The way that when no. Dr. J brought that energy into the NBA when they merged, Dr. J was an instant promotion for the NBA. Right. Well, and the, the other problem was they the games weren't really on. So yeah. you had these situations where like I loved as a kid, I loved George Gervin and David Thompson. But ABA I ABA players, I be, by the way. ABA yeah. players who came in. David yeah. Thompson was first team all NBA his first two years in the NBA. He was like twenty two and twenty three. And he was Jordan before Jordan. Yeah, he was. I couldn't watch him. 
he came to Boston once a year. He's on TV maybe two other times. And you, and yeah. really to be on TV, you had to keep advancing in the playoffs. So there were guys that I think would have taken off. I think we Thompson and Gervin absolutely would have taken off. Maravich never made the playoffs, so nobody ever got to see him. But it wasn't until Magic was the first one. That was right when, you know, by yeah. 84, they're showing the finals live and things like that. But, um, you know, I, I think... You think about the last 40 years, right? From 1980 to 2020. Yeah. In 1980, they have Sixers-Lakers in the finals, right? On paper, this is amazing. Magic is a rookie. Yep. Kareem's the best player in the league. Dr. J. Dr. J on the other side. Um, and it's like, wow, this is, you, this is our dream finals. They're tape delaying the finals games. There's I games know. you can't even, they don't even have, I don't think, tape of a couple of the games. Like they don't exist. There's no they way to even have, see them. They have that final game, but that's about it. And I think it still says tape delay on that final game. It still says oh, yeah. it when you watch it. I when remember Celtics. I, I, yeah, it was crazy. I was watching those games. Yeah. In 1981, the Celtics, it was game six against Houston. They're up 3-2 in the series, chance to clinch the finals. I'm living in Boston. They don't show the game live. The game's on Damn. 11.30. My dad and I decide... I'm going to go to sleep early and he's going to wake me up at 1130 at night so we can watch the game. And we're not going to turn on the radio to see what happened because yeah. obviously no internet back then, nothing. So I go to sleep. He wakes me up at 1130. We stay up till two in the morning watching this tape delayed game. And then we win the title three hours after we actually won the title. This is only less than 40 years ago. So That's you crazy. think where the league got to yesterday where... I'm sure the rating was mammoth. Everything's live. They figure out how to do this bubble thing. Like it's a pretty cool evolution. Yeah. Do you think this championship will have meaning to people when someone comes out? I feel like the Lakers are in a no-win situation personally. It'll I, have feel like, I feel like if the Lakers win, they go, yeah, but it was the bubble. It was it was pandemic. It doesn't mean that much. And if the Lakers lose, that the Lakers can't even win in a pandemic. I mean, what's going on in Los Angeles? Like, I feel like we're in a no-win situation. I think the Clippers are different. If the Clippers win, there's a little bit of a feeling, okay, the Clippers won, but it was this. But because they've never won, it'll be big for the Clippers, especially if they beat the Lakers. I think it's actually more impressive if the Lakers win in this bubble situation. Really? Because there's no home court advantage. I did that. I did the lead of my podcast last night was about the the one takeaway, which I didn't really fully realize until I was watching the games. Yeah. Home court advantage doesn't exist. This is a neutral site in a fucking bubble. So the Lakers have the one seed in the West. Yeah. The best thing about being the one seed is the West is you don't ever have to play a game seven on anywhere else other than your court, right? For the first three rounds. So if they played Clippers... In uh in the Western Finals, guess where Game Seven is? It's in, it's in L.A. where it would have been anyway, but it's on the Lakers yeah. side, and it's all their fans. Yeah. Um, but now it's like it doesn't matter. So it's almost like Reggie Miller was talking last night about well the you know the Clippers they don't really have a lot to play for. They just want to get these guys in shape. And I was thinking, well, wait a second, they do have something to play for. They have a chance to be the two seed. And then I'm thinking, absolutely. Then I'm thinking, does that even matter? What if, as long as they're in the playoffs, does it matter what seed you are? You're just playing mm, neutral site teams anyway. I, I don't know. Maybe it means they won't play the Lakers until round exactly. three, exactly, but which is good for them. You know, maybe I don't know. I, I, but anyway, to your point, in 2012 we had a 66 game sprint of a season because mm-hmm. of the lockout. 
a bunch of guys got hurt, including Derrick Rose, who got hurt in the first game of the playoffs. Okay. Um, Miami ends up winning the title. It was it was the way it was condensed really favored younger teams, which is why OKC mm-hmm. made it on the final side on the West because they had wow. young Westbrook, young Durant, young Harden. They right. just had a huge advantage over the older teams. Um, I don't even don't remember talk, that. Wow. Yeah, we don't talk about that as like, oh, that's that's a fake season or that. Well, the only reason no, they won that's is because ninety nine was probably the worst asterisk season because that was, that was, was a fifty one. game. Yeah. yeah, the Knicks made the finals as an eight seed. And, uh, but at the same time, like, (laughs) I do feel like the right team won. So, uh, you know, I think with the NBA, usually the right team wins. We, we have not really had a lot of situate. The 2016, I feel like the wrong team probably won with the Cleveland beating Golden State. Cause I think that series was over and Draymond got kicked out of game five and all of a sudden it flipped. And then the Cavs went in seven. You could make the argument when, uh, Kyrie and Love were injured before that Cleveland really, that should have been sure. way more competitive that year before, you know. They they you were could. really robbed. They, Golden State has been one of the luckiest teams on their run, you know, to pl- face teams with injuries and who had players down at the right time. And all. As great as they are, they've also had incredible luck with the teams that they faced, you know. Well, then it, all the luck um, went away last year. Yeah, and it went against them. Durant know, melts kinda. down, then Durant comes back. He's the best player in the league in the playoffs. He hurts his Achilles. Comes back too soon, blows it out, and then Clay blows out his ACL. Curry's hurt the whole time. Like it, you know, it's really tough to do that five yeah. years in a row. And I think with this bubble situation, I've been in the of the opinion that it favors younger teams because mm-hmm. of the frequency of the games. And I, I think it's gonna be a real challenge for mm-hmm. LeBron and the older guys to because you're basically playing every other day. And mm-hmm. uh I think LeBron's going to be okay, and I'll tell you why. Here's here's my take on this, because you're absolutely right about the home court thing, and and sometimes people say that might affect your role players because they don't have that home, those home fans who support the role players, and their game usually rises because they ride on those emotional waves, and they usually disappear on the road. You know, it's always been this mystery, right? You yeah. know, but here's the other thing. To me, having played basketball growing up, you know, played players. To me, this is like playing at the Y, you know, that's what it feels like. And when you play at the Y, Bill, your chippy players are the players who are going to make a difference, too. And the people that just bring it. That's why your Paul George is going to step back and shoot these threes and make them and that type of thing and not give a fuck, you know, what the crowd booing or whatever, you know. And and that's why LeBron is I think LeBron's actually going to play better in this situation because he won't have the crowd with expectations on him. LeBron without expectations to me is a better LeBron. A chip a chippy LeBron in a Y situation, good luck everybody. Cuz that LeBron does not have that crowd. I think the crowd helps and hurts LeBron. Ironic. As great as LeBron is, there's something about the weight of expectations on him that to me goes away when it feels like you're playing at the Y. It's like, and that's why your your players who who you know when you talk about the ballers, you know, like um, this is why uh, Zion is going to play well too. You know, I mean, it's like you're just in a gym on a Saturday. <laughs> I don't know if you ever been in that situation, but a gym on a Saturday, players like that, man, they'll play like eight, nine games straight. You know, who got next? You know, and they're just dominating every game because right. it's uh, it's almost this. Ego bravado thing rises to the fore in that situation. Um, well, that's why Deion Waiter showed up so big yesterday. Yes, it was exactly. like this old school, old school exactly. uh, Saturday game. 
That was classic Y. That was classic Y situation or Jim. But Dion was just like, this motherfucker can't take me. Why do they got him on me? You know, it's that type of thing. <laughs> take him to, oh, are you kidding me? That, well, the that's lack what of it felt crowd, like to me. You know? The lack of a crowd, I think, hurts the Eastern teams more because, you know, the Celtics, Boston's one of the best crowds. And I, I do think it would lift those guys. And, you know, you, you saw it all decade even. Um, yeah. They, it had, the energy of the crowd combined with the young guys, I thought, was a real advantage. Same thing for Milwaukee, yeah. especially because they were the one seed throughout the playoffs. And game sevens there were going to be hard. Philly yeah. was the other one. Philly had a huge disparity with their home record versus their road record. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of different reasons for that, but they just lose that. you know. Whereas like you think about the Clippers... Any playoff series they had against anyone who also had a fan base, most notably the Lakers, like you would yeah. have ga- game six of a Clippers Lakers series and you would have 50% of the fans are Laker fans. It's like, Absolutely. is that even an advantage? I don't even know. No, not at all. I think the, to me, the Clippers kind of have a better chance now because of what I'm saying, because they have chippy players, you know, yeah. like Patrick Beverly shines even more in this situation because as much as, the crowd makes a difference, doesn't need it. He he really doesn't need it. He just wants to fuck your shit up to show his dominance over you psychologically. And that's what I mean by pickup ball mentality, that type of thing. You know, I think that crowd, crowds have less of an effect than they did when like I was growing up. When I was yeah. growing up, the crowd had a real effect and they affected right. the refs. They affected yeah. other players. They were meaner. Um, yeah. You had people in the lower levels. The tickets weren't that expensive, so you had some. Right, right. You had some real dudes in the uh, in the first five six rows, and I, I think, yeah, you know, even like when you look at what's happened to Golden State over the last twenty years, they used to have one of the three or four best crowds. Right. Um, yeah. In the two thousands, they had the best crowd. They never yeah. had good teams, but they always had the best crowd. And now it's you know the most corporate crowd we have. Every it's it's the all time. So you have to have money yeah. to sit in the lower levels. So I don't I don't even know how much it affects it anymore. Yeah, and arenas used to have an effect too because, and what I mean by that is it starts to have an effect before you even get there. You know, like if you know you're going to play in the garden on the way on the plane trip to the garden, it's already having an effect on you. You check into the hotel, people are talking shit to you. You know, you go to the locker rooms, you know, there's no hot water or whatever it is. There's all these things that are happening before you even get on the floor. The foreign place has an effect on you, you know, and, and it either like for Kobe, it actually made him play better when those types of things, you know, happen. Some players like Jordan, it would steal them. You know, it would, it would, uh, it would actually, uh, make them play better. And and it's funny when I was watching a uh, last dance, Chicago could have been vulnerable in some of those games if they had played at home instead of on the road when Jordan had a chip on his shoulder. <laughs> you right. know? It's kind of ironic, you know, it might've had opposite uh, outcomes if it had been uh, uh, a better crowd in some situations or a more favorable crowd. It's real interesting. Those dynamics. Yeah. Well, you have more to deal with when you're home too, because you're dealing with ticket requests. You're right. dealing with like, if you're living None with that, like, yeah a wife and kids, stuff like that. When you're on the road, it's a business trip. I and know, like yeah. guys like Jordan bird were always at their best in the road games. I do think though, like what you were saying about the, the old killers. school arenas. Yeah. I remember, um, you know, like for, for instance, the, the final game of the 86 finals with the Celtics and Rockets and Samson had punched Jerry Seachting the game before. Mm. So when he, 
And you, in the old garden, you had to go through the tunnel at midcourt to walk out. And that's where <laughs> me and my dad, that's where we sat. Oh, so you're man. just walking through it. It was like the Colosseum in, in Rome. You know, you're yeah. going out, everybody's just boo. And you could see some guys check out. And Samson that day, he was done. He They hadn't even started warmups yet. And mm-hmm. you could tell from his eyes, he was out. Because the crowd was like, we are, we are going after you today. Every time you touch the ball, the whole arena is going to be boo. And he he checked out. He had four points. Um, I don't think stuff like that happens anymore. I don't think the crowd can affect the game like that. Yeah, it's, sometimes it's after the game. I mean, we had that fight in Detroit years ago in the odds. I think it was Detroit, right? Is that um, what we're calling it now, a fight? <laughs> or mean, well, it was a brawl. What was you it? You mean the melee? <laughs> the melee was a brawl, you know, with the crowd, which, by the way, in some ways it was fantastic, you know, and I only say fantastic at the means of I can't believe this is happening. Fantastic. You know, it's it's honestly uh, one of the one of the great random TV nights of all time. Absolutely. It completely. is a it is a I remember where I was when this happened. Yeah. TV night. Um, I thankfully, t- nobody t- got seriously hurt. But man, exactly. that was insane. And I think I identify with the players in that situation. I think what the players did was wrong. You can't fight people. But I understand a point of getting fed up, you know, and striking out. I can't, you know, I never blame them for that. I thought it was too much, you know, but I was never. Well, you think about you had our test who has been pretty open about the issues he's had over the years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes into this stance. You have Detroit fans. And then you have Steven Jackson going, my guy's going in the stands. I got to get his back. Just those three things, how we escape from that, how much worse that probably should have gone is pretty amazing. Well, because, Um, and fans thought they could say anything, you know? And like, remember the thing that Russell Westbrook had to deal with. You go back to Jackie Robinson where people said the worst things possible. Well, yeah, that's you that's know, a whole other level. Yeah. The it's 40s a whole other level. But fans have felt they could just say anything because players aren't going to do anything. And they're like, no, niggas, no, no, no. You know, you can't just say shit to me. There's I'm a human being. I'm a man, you know. There's a lot of stuff from the fifties and sixties, NBA wise, about um, you know, like I think I'm gonna say it was Syracuse when they had a team in Syracuse. Like they they would just throw shit at the opposing bench during the timeouts. Mm-hmm. So when they would have timeout huddles, they would put like their towels over their heads because the guys are just like whipping coins at them and stuff. Yeah. I mean, everything was different 50, 60 years ago. I, I think fan behavior, once the Artest Melee happened, the league completely changed Yeah, the entire dynamic. And they were just yeah. like, and they look at, they use security cameras now. They have people watching everybody. Um, if there's, you know, especially behind the bench is when a lot of the problems happen, like the three, four rows behind the bench, um, they're monitoring all that stuff. And the irony is they're still not batting a hundred percent on it. We're, we're still having incidents because people well, have so- a couple of drinks and then they're like, Hey, yeah. Westbrook, fuck <laughs> yeah. off. And Westbrook's like, what are you talking to me? And then that's when you have, you know, shit go down. What's up with baseball, man. I have a couple of questions. Are you a baseball fan, by the way? Yeah. Um, I don't, I feel like is baseball on its way out. Feels like it. Doesn't it? I don't, there's something about it that, and I, I'm a big Dodgers fan. I love the Dodgers of home team. Cause you know, this is my home team and everything. We have a great team this year, but man, they're canceling all these games because of COVID right now. They're, 
They're doing the short season. It feels like they may cancel this season. To me, it feels like, is the future of baseball in trouble? I think it's been poorly run for 25 to 30 years now. And every decision they've made has basically antagonized the young fan base that they need to build and develop, build and develop and cultivate. And you look at, you know, the NBA, every decision they make is fan friendly to people who are 18 and under, right? Like somebody right. like my son who learns these guys through 2k yeah, and then is yeah. watching these games and yeah, some of them end a little bit late at night, but baseball was in a situation where the last 25 years, the best games they're playing are ending after midnight. Every yeah, Red Sox Yankees game in 04 yeah. was over after midnight, all the relevant mm -hmm. games. And I I think that's one thing. I think the the it doesn't feel part of the culture mm -hmm. in the same way that something like basketball does. And you know, the fact that they're not getting the best athletes anymore. Mm -hmm. And it, when you think like in the old days, all the best athletes were football and baseball. Mm -hmm. And then gradually that shifted to all these different sports, but really basketball, I think, I think gets first pick on who the best athletes are and baseball is just not getting them. And so you think like somebody like Mike Trout, they should have like 25 Mike Trouts. Um, mm -hmm. But then the code, I think, is the other one. Look at the whole baseball code. CC and I talked about it on my pod with him on Tuesday. What's the code? Just, just like how we have to respect this tradition of baseball and how they did it 100 years ago. And don't bat mm -hmm. flip. Don't have any sort of individual expression. Oh, right. Individual expression, yeah. That's not what our culture is anymore. Our country, our culture is all about individual expression. It's all mm -hmm. about, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's basically narcissistic. Um, baseball is like, don't be like that. You're, you're just one of the 25. Don't show up the other team. Uh, you, you know, you have to act a certain way. And it's like, I don't know if that mm -hmm. works anymore, but ultimately the biggest problem is it's just too fucking slow. It's just too yeah. slow. It and takes I think three it's... and a half to four hours to play. It's like, who has three and a half, four hours to do anything? Well, also, and it's not even because a football game could be three hours, but people aren't mad at it, you know, but, uh, to me, like, I think baseball is way too interested in stats. It's way wow. too interested in stats. It's, it's like, how nerdy do you have to be baseball? Like, and even when they celebrate it, it they, they celebrate stats, you know, but rarely do they celebrate winning to me, you know, in the way that other sports celebrate winning and winners, you know, it's always individual stats, which is ironic because you say they don't celebrate individualism, you know, and the thing that they promote is stats and, and whether somebody should be in the hall of fame and all this stuff. And, and I think they've lost the connection to people by focusing so much on these types of things that, okay, well, fine. Your ERA is one point lower, whatever, you know, make something exciting for us to watch. Well, it's like arguing about um, physics or something. I, right. I think it's lost it over the last 20 years. And I felt it just like, you know, I started really writing my column, probably 1997 mm -hmm. range. I got to ESPN in 2001 and we used to argue about baseball in an old school way where it'd be like, I think Nomar is better than Jeter. And instead of just listing different stats, you'd have a real argument and you might not have been right, but you felt really passionately about, look, mm -hmm. man, nobody's more clutched than Jeter. You know, kind of the same way we argue about the NBA now in 2020, we have some of these stats, but ultimately you and I could still argue about LeBron versus Kawhi for Absolutely. an hour without yeah. stats. 
But I in say, baseball, you can't have an argument without stats. There's always a solution because exactly. it's an individual sport. And I could be like, look, I don't care. Mookie Betts is better than Mike Trout. And somebody would be like, actually, no, here are the stats. You're wrong. <laughs> right, and then it's right. like, well, now we're not arguing about anything. What's fun about this? <laughs> right. Why do we need us? Yeah, yes. right? let's just not be here. Let's just have the computers watch the games. I, and I think that's what it's missing. I think in the old days, DiMaggio versus Ted Williams, people argued about that for 20 years. Yeah. You and know, it, and it, Jeter versus Nomar, that was an argument for five straight years. And now nobody has those. Also, it was kind of this supposedly shared American experience that people were having, but it did represent, it does definitely represent a slower America too, you know, whereas the the speed of, of basketball and even football, football is a much better sport, I think, for viewing on television than, than baseball also, you know, and football to me is, is very, um, is brilliant because of the, how few games it has. So every game has more importance than any other sport, which is, that's one of the most brilliant things about football, you know, is week seven counts as much as week one, as much as week 14. Cause you start, well, you lose two games and you can be fucked, you know? Well, you also have football as fantasy and gambling, which has carried it to a whole other level. Right. And baseball, you know, it just doesn't resonate. It's really hard to gamble on baseball. And football's daily, brutal. Daily fantasy is impossible. Yeah. If you're in a season-long baseball league, usually by August, two guys are in the lead. Everybody else is out. And in football, I I think it was already the most popular sport in the world in 1990. But like I remember fantasy football and gambling for me, it's been 30 years now. Wow. It pushed it a whole other level because the first year I started gambling, the Patriots went 1-15. And it was right. like every Sunday, my life revolved around the Patriots. They would just get their asses kicked. It's like, and somebody's like, hey, you should gamble. You can gamble on the other teams. Then you have a favorite mm-hmm. team for three hours. I'm like, that sounds great. And then start doing that. Then you get into fantasy football. It's like, yeah, you pick your own team. And then when the guys do well, your team does well. I was like, wow, that sounds awesome. I'll do that. Yeah. And it just kind of, you know, it, it ballooned and it blew up and, Mm-hmm. That's why it'll be really interesting to see if they can figure out how to actually have football when it's kind of impossible to have a bubble like you do in basketball. I don't know how you do it. And I don't know how you trust these guys to make the right decisions if they're not stuck in the bubble the way the NBA players are. It may be tough. And it's a, yeah, it's, who knows? I always think it's, it's a big game, but I, who knows? Well, do you, you know? know how many, do you know how many states are playing high school football this fall? No. How many? All right, we have 50 states. What do you think the number is? Uh, well, I think it's probably important to half of those states. I'll say 25. 37. That's a lot. Seems like a lot, right? Because I don't know if you know this, but um, there's no cure for the virus and people are still spreading it <laughs> yes, and giving it to I each know. other. I 37 know. seems high. It's just scary. Um, so let me... So. Bill, by the way, thanks for being on. You know, it's great catching up with you and all this stuff. Uh, let me just oh, ask you, pers- you personally, how are you doing? By the way, you know, you're my boy. I care about you a lot. I know you've been through some stuff, you know. How's how's the company doing? How's the ringer doing? How are you doing? All that kind of stuff. I think we've, we've we're in really good shape right now with uh-huh. a lot of the stuff we want to do, you know. And, and I think, you know. Obviously, there's going to be some bumps along the way, but I, I think mm-hmm. you just got to look at it like, all right, this is going to put us in a better place. And I, I think, good, 
you know, you have different priorities for things and then different priorities become the main priority and things like that. And mm-hmm. I think the main priority for us is how do we, how can we keep, keep doing great stuff? How can we continue to evolve the company and look a little bit different? And, uh, and, and I think we've done a good job of that this summer and we're continuing to do a good job. Yeah. You guys, uh, I know there's a, I'm sure you probably have a lot of things planned that I don't know about, but it seems like you've been pushing to do a lot of different types of pods too, I guess. Right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We, we had been planning on a lot of this stuff anyway, but then the mm-hmm. pandemic happens and it's really hard. There's two, two and a half months there where it's just like, what do we do? How do, mm-hmm. are there going to be sports? Is there content? How do we, you know, how do we kind of move on some of this stuff? And then I think after, by like the three month mark, it's just like, we just got to get going right. and try to make some of the moves we wanted to make and, and, you know, really just hope stuff comes back and there's stuff to talk about. But I, I think basketball finally coming back, things fall into place yeah. just in a lot of different ways. Cause that, that's kind of like the most important sport slash genre, but you know, basketball has always been kind of the lifeblood of what we've been doing that and football and movies yeah. and TV. So having basketball back, I think it's good, but you know, I, I think, I think we have a responsibility. I think Spotify feels it too. Mm-hmm. Spotify is an awesome company and what, and I think one of the leaders right now in media and it's like, how, how can we all do better? I think everybody's asking that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it's confined to us. I think, right. Any conversation, any big business is having, any um, any content company, anywhere, any office is like, how do we do better? We didn't do well mm-hmm. enough. What, what can we do? So that's been uh, taking up a lot of time. I think one of the if one of the uh, good outcomes of the whole George Floyd incident and the protests that followed, I think is is part in what you're saying is that. I think it's causing us to reflect in a lot of different ways, you know, racially, of course, is one of them. But I think it may give us an opportunity to pause, maybe because of the pandemic, too, to see about our relationships in the world and how we're interacting with people. Is it proper? You know, are we listening? Are, are we just holding on to our old ideas or are we in the moment? You know, and there's so many different ways that that occurs in the workplace, in our relationships at home. We're having to be with people 24 seven nowadays. It's for me both the pandemic and that event, it's making me reevaluate a lot of different things, you know, um, or just at least take the time to look at that and say, Larry, are you in the moment here? Are you engaging with this properly? You know, what's going on? You know, it's especially, uh, doing everything remotely. Yeah. I think, I think it's been an advantage for us in a couple of ways, just because it, it taught us how to do some things differently, mm-hmm. but at the same time, not having an office, especially if you're a smaller company and you're used to, you know, you're used to spitballing in small rooms or having meetings or people seeing each other face to face. You just can't replicate that with zoom. I know you You just can't. And I really miss that. Yeah. And, you know, I I think especially a company like us, we have a lot of young people, Mm -hmm. um, young people in general, like, yeah, I, w- I was 24, 25 once. I wouldn't want to be stuck inside for five months and not be able to no. go to a bar and not Absolutely be able to not. like hang out with my friends and not be able to go to games. And I would lose my mind. So I think the big fear I have just in general, especially with the the 20-something generation, is just stay- being online way too much. Yeah. Um, just kind of that being a combination time suck not a representation of real life and real relationships, things like that. Mm-hmm. And how, how you kind of juggle that. And, 
I, I just know like if, if I was 25 years old working somewhere and I was just stuck home all day, maybe I'm living at my parents or I'm in an apartment with three mm. other people and I can't go anywhere and I can't do anything. I can't let out steam. I can't go out on Thursday nights and all that. And you just online all the time. I, I think that just worries me. I don't, I don't know how healthy yeah. that is. So I, I agree. You know, the fact that we're in, we're heading toward literally the five month anniversary of the Rudy Gobert game. Mm-hmm. And this is not a normal way to live. But then I think about like with my kids too, you know, my, my daughter's about to start 10th grade. Mm-hmm. My son's about to start seventh grade. They don't, they, we get, let them see like two friends that they have. Mm-hmm. School is so social. Um, and you're just learning and navigating so many things and to just remove that and just be like, all right, you guys are going to do this now online. That's it. Um, I, I just, I really hope that, uh, you know, there, there's a million reasons we, <laughs> we need a vaccine, but it, the amount of time we're losing here for people who are in their formative years, I think is, is yeah. just really scares me. It's really dangerous. I agree. We're social animals, you know, it's, uh, for you and I, it's easier. We're old guys. We, you know, we're, <laughs> it's not like we were out five nights a week anyway. And, you know, we had all the people in our uh, life that we were exactly. going to have anyway. And we it's could better. stay in touch with people, but when yes. you're younger, it's different. It's probably better for the world that I am isolated for a certain period of time. <laughs> <laughs> this but point. like, like your friend, Bill Maher, like, he, like has his life changed that much? Like he probably, I don't think he was somebody who was out. Why do you say you my know, friend five days Bill Maher? A week. I've been on Bill's show, you? but we're not buddies. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were friends with him. Uh, I know Bill, but we're not like friends, you know, but I, we're friendly. Let me put it like that. Bill's always been great to me and all that, but, your but work, we don't hang Your out. work friend, yeah. Bill Maher. Yeah. No, but I think <laughs> yeah. about people like that who are mm-hmm. older, kind of set in their ways. Like, you know, yeah. you, your, your life probably hasn't changed that much, but I look at what's happened to my kids. I'm like, oh my God. No, it's, it's ridiculous. My daughter was graduating from college this past spring and they couldn't have the ceremony and all that, you know, and it's one of those rites of passage and everything. You want the whole family to be there. It's just terrible. Well, then think about the kids that are going to college who are like, this is yeah, my freshman year. year. Do I, do I defer? What do I do? I don't know. Defer. So you make it in sports, you know? As opposed to gap year, which most people would have said, for you, it's got to be sports. You know? Yeah. Um, do the Celtics go to the finals this year? Last question. I'm really worried about Kemba Walker's knee. I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, reading it, reading reports between the lines about it. He might have arthritis, which doesn't go away. Like if you have arthritis in your knee, it's kind of over. Your knee is, it's just becomes pain management at that point. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like the knee got better. So it like we've had four and a half months off here. We were talking in February. They were like, he just needs to rest his knee. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure we had enough rest time. And then he comes back. It's like, he's playing nine minutes. No, his knee feels great. Well, why do you only play nine minutes then? If he's not hundred percent healthy, the way his style is like where he's, you know, he's five eleven. he needs his lift. He needs, just certain things that you need to compensate for the fact that you're short and he doesn't have all that and they don't have him and he's 78% instead of a hundred percent. I think it's gonna be really hard for them to, you know, beat the bucks or win four straight rounds. So a lot of people are picking them as like the sexy mm-hmm. kind of sleeper pick out of the East. But if he's not a hundred percent healthy, I don't, I don't see it. Um, at the same time, they fit the recipe, right? They're like the 2012 thunder kind of younger mm-hmm. team tireless athletes 
Tatum and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, there's some similarities to mm-hmm. a Durant, Westbrook, Harden, and Ibaka just from like a young leg standpoint. So there's a case, but I, I think it, we'll know more when we see Kemba in these games if mm-hmm. he looks like Kemba or not. I think Toronto will have a better chance than people think, and I think the Heat will have a better chance than people think. And it's part of because of what I'm saying about the why and that, especially the Heat. You know, that type of team, scrappy team like that with no fans, they just want to yep. kick your butt, you know. Well coached. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, good organization. Well, the thing to remember is like if, if you're comparing this to 1999. Yes. We ended up with the eight seed going against the Spurs in the finals and the eight and everybody was shocked. But yeah. you shorten the season, weird shit starts to happen. Anything so can I, happen, yeah. I think in the West, it's it's got to be one of the LA teams. But in the East, weird shit could happen. And I, I'm prepared for like five or six teams to be heard from. Even Philly, we didn't talk about. They still have Embiid and Simmons, who are two of the best 15 to 20 guys yeah. in the league. So they have and to be taken young. seriously, too. And by the way, uh, what's his name? Harden could go on a tear in a short amount of time. We're mm. talking about a short amount of time as opposed to this is the end of a long season. You know, He could go on a tear and be unstoppable for... I mean, all you got to do is take four games from somebody, right? You know, get hot four times, you do it. He's that type of player, right? So yeah. that could, that can happen in the West, definitely. Um, Bill, so nice having you. Uh, we got to we got to have more conversations, uh, especially with Lakers play the Celtics. We'll see what happens. I hope everything's back to normal. Well, Glad now you, you have to come on my pod because we always do the home and home. So now you have to come on mine in a couple weeks. Anytime, anytime, yeah. that'd be great. All right, it's uh, great to see you. Great to see you as always. Take care, my friend, and we'll be talking soon. Bill Simmons, you guys. Thank you.